have a special friend in the building. We do. We actually have the joy today from hearing from one of my personal heroes. Um, for those of you, if you're new to this community, um, before there was ever Hilltop Church, there was a small prayer room. And when I say a small prayer room, there was two to three of us praying in a basement on Kennard Street. Um, and before we came here to start the House of Prayer, I emailed those that are considered fathers or mothers in this city. And Pastor Dave Hill is one of those people that has been a father in this city, leading in truth and in wisdom. And so he was at the top of my list of who I was emailing, introducing myself and basically saying, I'm coming to pray. That was all I had really, I'm coming to pray. <laughs> um, he was one of the first responses that I received and such a warm, welcoming, encouraging response. Um, him and Roberto Miranda, who Andrew was just sharing about, um, would come to the house of prayer. I remember him coming with his guitar and leading. Guys, this was back in the day. You guys all come to a prayer room with like worship like this happening. Right. Yeah. And we're all like, this was a prayer room with a CD yeah, disc CDs changer. Were still used. And I would put on a track and there it was would no change. There was no Spotify. <laughs> we did all night prayer. Yeah. We would do 24 hours of prayer with a CD disc changer. It was awesome. Um, but Pastor Dave would come with his guitar and lead worship. There was a few fathers in the city that just welcomed us, embraced us. And I'm going to say this, Hilltop is here today. Absolutely because we were loved and embraced and carried in those early seasons. And Abundant Grace also was a part, this is the church that he and Ingrid pastor, um, they were a part of financially supporting the House of Prayer and sustaining us. So um, they pastor Abundant Grace in Brighton, and he's also on the board of directors for Know Your Options, um, which I'm sure he's gonna share more about today. Um, but it's a joy to have you here, and it's a privilege to be able to hear from you today. Church, could you welcome Pastor Dave Hill? Yeah. You can keep on clapping. Put your hands together. Come on. Nice, warm welcome. It's a blessing for us today to have this man in this place. We're going to pray for him. Um, more so, we're going to pray for ourselves, right? That our ears would be open and our hearts would be just willing to receive from this gift and the word of God. Father, we thank you for this precious man. And Lord, we ask God that um, you'd speak through him today to us, Lord. And, and we pray for ourselves as well, that our ears would be open and our hearts would be waiting and willing to receive the word of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. I'm old-fashioned. Everybody get an outline? All right, good. Um, thank you for that warm welcome. I look forward to preaching to you guys. So I was really hoping Bethany would email me again this year and say, would you come and preach? So I'm here. Hallelujah. I'm glad to be here. Uh, I want to encourage you that you are blessed to have Daryl and Bethany leading your church, okay? That you have a man and a woman who are serious about following Jesus and about obeying his word. So imitate their faith. And uh, it's great to be here. I'm going to preach uh, starting from Luke chapter one. And so uh, I'm gonna start with an encouragement about prayer. I love that this church is built on prayer, so I, I'm praying that I can encourage you. I think you, do you guys have the scriptures? 
you going to put it up? Uh, you got it? Okay, great. So this is Luke 1, verse 10. I'm going to read this to you. When the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And this is where Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, is ministering in the temple. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and, get this, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to you to tell you this good news. Now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the appointed time. Amen. This is God's word. I love this passage, and I find it very inspirational. And so on your outline, the first point I just want to make for us is this angel comes and visits Zechariah to tell him that he and his wife have been heard, their prayers have been heard, and they will indeed have a child, a son. They're going to name him John. And so on your outline, the first point is the world, this world that we're living in, breathing, and my heart's beating, Andrew, there's another world, God's world. It's called the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. The next point, in that world... Your prayer is heard. That is good news. So I want to encourage Hilltop, Justice House of Prayer. Your prayers are heard. The prayers that you're offering up in the name of Jesus from the word of God, they are heard. And the powerful thing about this story is God apparently answered a prayer that Zechariah was no longer praying. He was too old. He and his wife weren't going to be able to have kids. And this angel shows up and says, your prayer's been heard. And his response was, well, how can that happen? We can sympathize, right? It seemed an impossibility. His wife was too old. That was the wrong answer. I love Gabriel's response. Hey, man, I'm Gabriel. Do you know who you're talking to? I stand in the presence of Almighty God. And he sent me to you. Wow. What an awesome event. And so he couldn't talk until the baby was born. This church is based upon prayer. You are praying for things 
like you're too old to have a kid that require God's miracles, right? Another great awakening. Multitudes of people in Cambridge and college campuses around Boston coming to faith in Jesus, actually repenting from their sins. Praying for an end to abortion, a return to biblical standards of marriage and sexual morality. Is that the way the world's trending right now? No. Okay, so we're like going upstream. We're swimming upstream. But your prayers are heard. Okay? And so you serve a God who intervenes miraculously. You serve a God. There's another world and what we're praying. Your world, kingdom come to earth. I love that song we were singing in worship. Daryl, I love your enthusiasm. So Ingrid and I like worshiping here. There's another world, and we're praying for it to come on earth as it is in heaven. It takes courage, takes faith, takes believing that your God is a God of miraculous intervention, that he's heard your prayers so that you can persevere. When you read in the Bible, Jesus on prayer, the number one thing Jesus says prayer requires is perseverance. Like you're going to keep knocking and praying and he feels like an unjust judge because nothing's happening. And it's easy to be like Zacharias, like, well, maybe I shouldn't, what, am I stupid? Am I crazy? You know, why am I still praying for this? I appreciate uh, Bethany's kind words. She admires me because I prayed for a revival for a long time. And so uh, sometimes I use an example of like 25 years before Abraham received the promise of a child. And then Ingrid goes, you're past the 25 year mark. <laughs> okay, what, what are you gonna use now? I'm like, okay, 40 years, Moses in the wilderness. <laughs> so it's been a long time. I started praying like this way back in, you know, 1979, 1980, it was a long time ago. Why do you keep going? Because God's word speaks to my heart. Like God's word speaks to your heart. That's what keeps us going. The spirit of God encourages us that we're not crazy. We're praying for something that God wants to do. But it takes faith and it takes perseverance. It's not easy. So your prayers are heard. Hallelujah. Okay, let's keep going. The angel comes again to Mary. The Messiah is God's promise, this is on your outline, and long-awaited victorious king. From the very beginning of scripture, there's been a promise ever since the fall that there would be an overcoming of evil and God would send a king to earth who'd make everything right. And it starts right in uh, the curse that's announced on the serpent, where it says, your offspring will crush the heel of the woman but her offspring will crush your head. How many of you have ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ? Okay, it's very intense. I love right near the beginning, Jesus is praying in the garden. And he's crying out, you know, he's in agony. And there's this serpent slithering around. And there's this voice of Satan whispering to him, no one man could ever take away the sins of the whole world. And we don't know if Satan really said that, but that I don't doubt that he did. And, and Jesus is praying and praying, then all of a sudden he stands up and boom, he stomps on the snake's head. 
I'm like, yes, I love that. That was prophesied in Genesis. And it's prophesied over and over. Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. The prophet Jeremiah, I've been reading Jeremiah, said there's going to be a branch of David, a descendant of David. His name is the Lord, our righteousness. Wow. What a statement. So this Messiah, the Jews are waiting. You guys are waiting. We're waiting for a revival. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. He may just come back. We don't know. But we want to be ready. And so this angel Gabriel appeals to Mary. So let's read what he says to her. So this is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings! You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus, which means the Lord saves. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. That's where we have to live, isn't it? No word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Amen. There's two points I want to take from that on your outline. Like Mary, you have found favor with God. Look at your neighbor and say, you have found favor with God. If you believe in Jesus, you have found favor with God. God has revealed to you who Jesus truly is, the Savior of the world, the soon and coming King. He's risen from the dead, and we believe it. We don't think it's just a nice story to make us feel good. This is true. One time, I was going to uh, our church that we used to work with, used to meet at Ruggles Baptist Church near Kenmore Square in BU. And I think I took the bus down, I got off, and I was walking through BU, headed to Ruggles Baptist, and classes were changing, so hundreds and hundreds of kids are, like, walking by me. And for some reason, I was just looking at people, and so many of the people seemed heavy-hearted, or just, they looked great, but beneath that, it didn't look so happy. And I'm thinking, these people need Jesus. 
And I'm thinking, I know the Lord. Like, why me? You ever thought about that? Like, you're chosen. You found favor with God. So you're privileged. We're the most privileged people on earth. And because we found mercy, we're praying that other people will find mercy, right? We're not down on people, even though we have to be bold. I'll talk about that a little later. The next point on your outline, like Mary, Jesus lives in you. Jesus lives in you. Every conversion is a miracle story. Because your eyes have been opened, you found the grace or favor of God, and Christ comes to live in you by his spirit. So Mary physically conceived by the Holy Spirit, and Christ came to live in her. I'm going to talk about that a little more later. That is pretty mind-boggling. So spiritually, we have this same thing. Mary's like a forerunner for us. She's an example for us. John 17, let's put that scripture up there, please. John 17. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. Listen to what he says. He said, Father, I wear in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So just this idea of Jesus in us. I and them, you and me. Let's go to the next scripture, Colossians 1.27. Paul also understands this. And he's talking to the Colossians saying, there's this great mystery that God's appointed us as apostles to preach. So he says, to them, God has chosen to make known, these are Christians to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's why I love worship, right? Because we're worshiping God and the Holy Spirit is bearing witness with our hearts that we're people of God, Jesus is alive, heaven is real, and we're gonna get there one day. It's the hope of glory. It's Christ in us that makes everything real. Bethany was exhorting us about we need an experience. It's not enough to just believe it. We have to practice it. But we also need to experience the love of Christ poured into our hearts. We have to experience forgiveness. God wants to bring you to a place where you're utterly convinced that every wrong thing, stupid thing, evil thing that you've done is not held against you. I remember I was witnessing to a woman and her husband was, was not a Christian. And I quoted 2 Corinthians 5, which says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he looked me right in the eye and goes, will God really do that? Yes. That's why Jesus came. That's why it's called good news. This is post-Christmas, but the great Christmas carol, A Little Town of Bethlehem, also captures this truth. One of the lines is, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray, cast out our sins, 
and enter in, be born in us today. Be born in us. Christ in you is the hope of glory. The birth of Jesus in Bethlehem was a glorious fulfillment of prophecy. It was good news of great joy for all people, announced by angels, and the angel armies of heaven appeared, praising God. Yet what makes it really good news? It's when Christ, the Savior, saves you by being born in you. You can hear that Christmas story and say, oh, that's wonderful. But until by faith you receive Christ, it's not fulfilling God's goal. God's goal is people born of his spirit. Paul in uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I think it's 13. I don't know if I gave you the scripture or not. Is it up there? Great. Yes. Examine yourselves. He's saying, how do you know you're in the faith? Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Wow. So that's why growing up, my kids used to think I was down on Catholics. I'm not down on Catholics. I try not to be down on anybody. But I grew up going to the Methodist church, John Wesley, Wesley Eifler, that kid's gonna be full of the Holy Spirit, all right? And a lot of the people sitting in church every week, I was there every week, I sang in the choir, I went to Sunday school, didn't know the Lord. So God's goal wasn't being fulfilled for them. And when we went to Amherst, Mass, we started a church in 1981 in Amherst. And we met all these Catholic people. And we were out witnessing all the time. And uh, we had this one track called the two-question test. You know, how do you know if you're going to heaven or not? And the first question is, do you believe you're going to heaven? Yes or no? And people could say yes. And if you said yes, you say, why do you believe that? And so you let them talk. So you're trying to find out what people think rather than just kind of like preaching to them. And we talked to people. We've talked to hundreds of people who grew up going to church, had no clue what it meant to really trust in Jesus Christ. And so that burdened us. And so we wanted to see those people saved. Are you with me? Okay. Is Christ in you? If you're here today and you're not sure Christ is in you, talk to your pastors, come up and talk to me, whatever. We want to pray with you so that you know that for certain. So brothers and sisters, you are a most privileged people. You found favor with God. You're blessed. God has gained what he's after in you. Hallelujah. I believe God wants us to become more aware of his presence with us so we can rejoice in it. Amen. Now let's look again at Mary. How did Jesus the Messiah... John 1, let's look at John 1. Okay, John 1 says, In the beginning, God already existed. This is the New Living Translation. He was with God, and he was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything there is. Nothing exists that he didn't make. Wow, I love the way they say it so plainly. How did Jesus, the word, come into our world? 
He didn't come as a man. He didn't come as a boy. He didn't come as a baby. You know, sometimes it's like Jesus came as a baby. No, Jesus came into the world, even as you and I came into this world, conceived in his mother's womb. If you reflect on that, it's absolutely mind-boggling. So there's another world that spoke our world into existence. Jesus isn't just like a great teacher, the son of God. He's the word who was with God, who was God, and everything came into existence through him, which is why we worship him. He came into this world that he created as a fertilized zygote. I don't pretend to comprehend that, but it's how it happened. Paul in Philippians 2 says he laid aside his glory or he made himself nothing. Can any of us as a follower of Jesus Christ in light of this truth ever sanction abortion? Life is sacred. God is the author of life. Jesus is the author of new life. And so we believe life is sacred from conception till death. And so it's up to us to uphold the sacredness of life in a world that has abandoned that. So it's not easy. It's not easy. But we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. So let's go back to your outline. I may have missed some points here. All right, did you get number six? God entered our world, how? Conceived in his mother's womb. In light of this, we can never what? Sanction abortion. We see this truth even more clearly and powerfully when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, her relative. Let's look at Luke 1, verse 41. It says, at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why, get this, why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? Do you see the revelation Elizabeth has about Jesus and Mary, the mother of my Lord? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. There was a prophecy that I forgot to mention over John the Baptist's life that the angel Gabriel told Zechariah, which is, oh no, we read it. Your son will be filled with the Holy Spirit even in his mother's womb. So here's Mary, the Holy Spirit's come upon her to conceive Jesus, our Lord, in her womb. She goes to visit sometime later her cousin Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit. John the Baptist is filled with the Spirit and leaps for joy. The prophecy's fulfilled, and John and his cousin Jesus have this communication where? In the womb. And so again, we just see that the word of God bears testimony that God recognizes life in the womb. 
Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. This is God's word to Jeremiah. He's being called as a prophet. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Again, it's remarkable. Before I formed you, I knew you. David in Psalm 139 has the same realization. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We live in an age where people are confused. They don't really know like who they are or why they're alive. And there's all this self-realization and it's basically like you can be God and figure it all out for yourself and you can try and figure out what gender you are. Do you know what a burden that is? You can figure out truth for yourself. Do you know what a burden that is? That's why people are heavy hearted and depressed and doing drugs and hooking up and everything. says, it's too much to bear. But there's a God who's told us what truth is. There's a God who formed us in our mother's wombs. And so if you reflect on that, it strengthens you. I'm not an accident. God knew you. God called you. You found favor with God. You may not be a prophet to the nations, but you have a divine purpose. So that's a message our generation needs to hear. So I love that this ministry stands for life. I love that you pray for the overthrow of abortion in Roe v. Wade. But that's not enough, is it? I mean, great things are happening right now. States have passed laws protecting the unborn. If I came here five years ago and said like, hey, in just a short, a few years, Roe v. Wade may be overturned. States are going to like protect the unborn. You're like, oh, Dave's a little excited. <laughs> but it's happening. But it's not enough because Massachusetts has already passed a law, the Roe Act. So we have our own, you know, Roe law that will permit abortion right up till the time a baby's born, sadly. I want to commend my wife. She challenged our state senator about this. Wrote him, we know him personally, so we can kind of chat with him, right? Wrote him a letter, challenged him. The next time he saw me, I wasn't going to bring it up, but he brought it up immediately. And he said, I have to agree with you, a third trimester abortion is inconceivable to me. Okay? He goes, I don't, I don't get that. And so I said, well, yeah. I said, but wh- why, you know, why this arbitrary point? So it was good. So it's not that he changed his mind, but he's acknowledging something. And I think more and more Americans are actually starting to acknowledge that life begins in the womb. And if you start believing that, you say, well, then life really begins at conception. So then why am I advocating, you know, something that I can't really justify? Again, my wife pointed out, she goes, 
Mississippi passed a law that at 15 weeks, you may not, you know, after 15 weeks, you can't abort a child. He goes, why aren't we seeing any pictures in the news of 15-week babies in the womb? Because if they showed those pictures, people's opinions would shift. When you see life in the womb, it shifts you. So that's what we're about. But it's not enough. We're going to need a spiritual awakening, aren't we? We're going to need people's hearts and minds to be changed by the spirit, by the word of God. So my generation, I'm a boomer. Do you ever see, I don't watch Saturday Night Live very often, but I saw one that had boomers versus millennials. It was really pretty funny. And one of the accusations is boomers are self-centered and they've oriented the whole world to do what's good for them. That's true. I mean, I have to admit that. It is true. So my generation introduced something into our culture that has been a disaster. They called it the sexual revolution. And I was an all-American straight arrow kid. I went to church, uh, you know, Sunday school, Boy Scouts. But I knew these slogans. Make love, not war. If it feels good, do it. Where did that come from? Question authority. So I'm this good kid going to church. I know all these things are just in the 60s and 70s. It's just being promulgated. It's being promoted. It's been a disaster. So what we need is a revolution against the sexual revolution. A friend of mine was a very strong pro-life advocate. He used to say, abortion is the ultimate male chauvinism. So in the 60s and 70s, there was a move of feminism that called men out as chauvinists, which many of them are, meaning they're self-centered and they want to do what's good for them and they take advantage of women. And so abortion is the ultimate, like, I can enjoy myself at your expense and now you're pregnant, you go to the abortion clinic, have an abortion, I don't have to take responsibility for you or the child that I've fathered. It's the ultimate male chauvinism. It's the ultimate in male irresponsibility. There's nothing good about it. As believers, we cannot ignore this truth. In Alpha, I know you guys are using Alpha, and one of the videos, Nikki Gumbel talks about waiting until you're married to have sex. And he said, quoting C.S. Lewis, pleasure was God's idea, not the devil's. And we kind of forget that because we've been over-sexualized. And so everything around us is telling us that that idea is wrong. Every TV show, every movie, every celebrity, it's, it's, there's this message that you hook up, it's great, everybody's doing it. The word virgin is a word that hardly is ever even used anymore. And it's almost like a negative word. It's like to to tell someone like, I'm a virgin, you're almost embarrassed. Like there's something wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. You are honoring the God who made you. That's what you're doing. 
And so I'm here to try and encourage you, especially you young men and women. I, there's some young guys I'm working with. I'm saying, men, if you really want to love a woman and honor her, you won't ask her to sleep with you before you're married. Because doing that is you're gratifying yourself. Love is not self-centered. Love gives. Love doesn't get. So love is how can I honor you as a person? How can I make you feel special and cherished? That's what Christian men are supposed to do. Some of you might say, Dave, it's too late. We live in a world, everybody growing up in today's world is probably not going to be a virgin. They're teaching kids in sixth grade how to have sex. So we're not, I'm not down on you. You get a fresh start in Jesus. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old things have passed, new things have come. God lets you start over again. How many of you have heard of uh, St. Augustine? He wrote something called The City of God. Some of you, he was a sexually promiscuous young man. And I love this story from his life. He finally got under conviction. He gave his life to Christ. He's seeking to follow the Lord. And one of his old girlfriends comes around and says like, hey, Augustine, like, let's go for it. Listen to his response. That Augustine that you knew doesn't exist anymore. He died. There's a new Augustine. Hallelujah. That's living in the reality of God's grace. That's living in the gospel. That's a message we have for today's world. I believe your ministry is very important. That's why I like coming here. Because you believe this. Not all churches believe this anymore. Many Christians, friends of mine, people I love, are sliding right along with the world. And it breaks my heart. Roberto Miranda is a friend of mine. He and I were talking one day over lunch. He said, Dave, I think some of our evangelical friends haven't been able to bring themselves to admit they don't obey the word of God anymore. So they use that title. Evangelical means, you know, we're Bible-believing Christians. But when the Bible's saying something hard in the face of our culture about sex, sexual mores, all right, now we're being pulled in. We can't do that. Because we have a message. You can be an Augustine. You can be a new person. Jesus Christ really does make everything new. So on your outline, after we need a revolution against the sexual revolution, being a virgin or celibate honors our Lord. 1 Samuel 1, excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30 says this, those who honor me, I will honor. I'll despise those who think lightly of me. I love this. Those who honor me, I will honor. I believe that. 
I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in the lives of countless people. When you choose to honor God and obey Jesus Christ, he's gonna honor you. That's fantastic. It might not happen right away. It might be hard. Getting out of your old life is hard. But you can do it. So being celibate is a way to honor God. It's a way to express your devotion to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 35. Paul is talking about like the blessing of singleness. And he's promoting it. He goes, I say this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, as if like getting married is bad, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure, I love this, undistracted devotion to the Lord. All of you who are living for Jesus and are fighting the pressure of sexual promiscuity and hooking up, I honor you. I admire you. You have an ability to have undistracted devotion to Jesus. And he values that. One of my sons is still single. He'd like to be married. He bought a house. He dedicated the house by having all his friends over for worship. I said, that's a good way to dedicate a home. Monday nights now gets all these guys over for the men's discipleship group. He's making the most of his singlehood. That's how we're to live. All right. Let me close with a story here. I've done a lot of things that were hard for my parents to understand. I graduated from college I actually ran a chicken farm for a couple years. That wasn't exactly what I went to school for. <laughs> I used to feel bad for my mom. There's something that was called Bridge Club. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Bridge Club, but my mom would have these ladies over and they would you know, play bridge and they'd have a big dinner and they'd be up till late and I couldn't go in the living room that night when there was Bridge Club. And I used to think of my mom. <laughs> I graduate from Dartmouth College and said, what's David doing now that he's graduated from Dartmouth? And my mom's like, um, he's running a chicken farm. She must have wanted to, she never expressed any kind of rebuke to me about that. Then we went from that, we started a church. I never went to seminary. We got a team of people, plant a church. What are you talking about? Methodists don't do that anymore, sadly. But as time went on, they began to see God honoring us as we tried to honor him. My dad said this to me. He said, Dave, and my oldest sister, Debbie's a radical Christian. He said, Dave, I come to a place of believing the only hope for our nation is people like you and Debbie. Amen. I can't tell you how much that meant to me. I believe this sincerely. The only hope for our nation is people like you. 
and other believers like you. There's other believers out there. It's not just you. You're the hope. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Praise God. All right, I'm going to close out. We have a little video for you. What else can you do in terms of like fighting abortion? I'm part of this ministry. I'm on the board called Your Options Medical. How many of you heard about it last year when I was here? Okay, a lot of you. Um, I put their website on your sheet, their address. Uh, We're just going to show a little video. I sum it up this way. Your Options Medical believes it's not enough to tell women abortion is wrong and you shouldn't do it. It's up to us in love, right? Love gives to do everything humanly possible to help them make the right decision. So we offer free pregnancy tests, free ultrasounds, compassionate counseling. And I would say over 50% of women who come to our ministry, we're targeting abortion-minded women with ads, uh, Google ads, ads, you know, online. When they see the baby in their womb, they change their mind. If they don't change their mind, our counselors try and stay in touch with them. We have a post-abortion Bible study. We're, we're not a ministry of condemnation. We're a ministry of how can we help you experience the grace of Jesus Christ. So let's show that video, please. The purpose of our ministry really is to minister to those who are facing an unplanned pregnancy and need to make a pregnancy decision. And the vast majority of the patients we see are women who have either determined to have an abortion or are seriously considering an abortion. So we are really a stand in the gap ministry that helps women make a decision for life by the services that we provide. This is the place where the journey begins. The young ladies come in and they speak to us about whatever's on their mind. We have tears that go on here. We have lots of laughter that goes on here. One of the other things that takes place is we try to help women with material needs, clothing, diapers, wipes, gift cards, and any other resources that we can find. This is especially a blessing to the women that choose life, but it's not limited to just them. Any woman with a child under two can gain access to whatever we have available. My name is Nancy Jamgosian. I'm the nurse manager here at Your Options Medical and also a sonographer here at the Revere office. And as you can see, this is the ultrasound room and also the pregnancy testing room. So after the patient has met with the counselor for an initial intake, she comes into this room and if it's a positive test, then we offer her an ultrasound. It's a wonderful thing to be able to show a mother her baby's heartbeat, the baby moving around. Uh, it's very exciting for them and it's exciting for us too. I think it's, it's a wonderful work and I'm blessed to be able to participate in it. Um, so originally um, abortion was pretty much my choice at that time. Um, so I was super unsure of what I was going to do. And um, I came continuously. We were able to um, do an ultrasound with these wonderful ladies. We were able to hear the heartbeat, and I think um, that day is what changed it for me. I was able to hear the heartbeat. Um, these ladies made me feel so welcome, so um, comfortable, and they really just helped me make up my mind that this was something that was going to be a lot more important to me, and I couldn't just let it go. Um, oh, it makes me emotional. Um, 
I love I love coming here because they really helped me so much. And I'm so thankful for this place and I don't know what I would have done without them. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? I love that young lady's tears. So we can always use financial help. If you want to support, you can talk to me, go to the website. Um, we'd love to try and get monthly supporters because then that helps us have an idea of how much money we'll have for each year. So we have four centers. Revere, we opened a new center in Brookline. We've been trying to get there for a long time. Uh, we met a woman. There was an office open at a medical building in Brookline. The uh, woman was an obstetrician, and we noticed online she said, I do not uh, refer for abortions. So here's this pro-life doctor, and she was delighted for us to use her office as a, as a, little, as a center. And then we have one in Fall River and Sturbridge. So that's where the ministry is. I'm going to close in prayer. Can I, should I pray, Daryl? Do whatever I want. Let's stand. I can do whatever I want. Oh, wow. Yeah. Let's just open our hearts to the Lord. Father, I thank you. I agree with Daryl's prayer at the beginning that our hearts could receive your truth. Father, I especially want to pray for my brothers and sisters here who might be wrestling uh, with shame wrestling with getting out of relationships. Father, uh, I don't know, feeling badly about uh, being celibate or a virgin. Father, I especially pray that you would help them. Lord, thank you that Jesus said what the world highly esteems is detestable in God's eyes. Thank you that in your eyes, these young people are honoring you. They're living for you. They're devoted to you. They are being holy because you are a holy God. So help us, Father, give grace to those who need grace today. To break free, to step forward, to say yes to you. Yes to purity. Yes to holiness. Yes to denying myself. Yes to breaking off relationships that aren't of you. Help us, Lord. Help my brothers and sisters. Make them strong by your grace. I simply invite your blessing on Hilltop and Justice House of Prayer. Lord, all those beautiful songs we sang at the beginning. Jesus, make us new wine. Make us new wine, Lord Jesus. Anoint us with your Holy Spirit. Make us a light in the darkness. Bless Hilltop Impact. Lord, to reach people in, in neighborhoods, in the community. Let the Miracle Mile experience miracles. Let the Alpha groups lead people to Christ. Lord, give us a great awakening. We're praying, we're knocking, we're asking. Do what only you can do. Our eyes are on you. Courage, let courage rise up in our hearts. 
pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yeah, put your hands together. That was great, great word. Great, great word. So we're going to do a couple things. One is you do have this um, piece of paper at your seat, and I just want to encourage you to take this with you. And there is information there in the website for the Your Options Medical is there. And so I want to encourage you um, as a people that when we hear the word that we would respond um, and not just be in theory pro-life, but take action. In addition to that, um, Pastor Dave and Ingrid, they do um, pray at the Planned Parenthood here in Boston once a month. And so I would encourage you, if you want to be on their email list um, for the prayer initiative that they lead, um, come see one of us or see them or see Lily. She can connect you as well. Um, And then lastly, there's two things we just want to open the altar for is um, with the number of people that we have here today, statistically speaking, there are a number of us that have in some way been affected and impacted or participants in abortion, whether it is females in the room or it's males here. And first and foremost, I love the fact that Pastor Dave highlighted the fact that we are new creations in Christ, that there's no condemnation, that he makes all things new. And first and foremost, we want to declare that the the ground at the cross is level, that there is no sin, whether it's the sin of murder or the sin of gossip, that it all needs the blood of Jesus to cover it. And so you are not here condemned today, but we want to twofold. If you're here and you have been a part of that and you feel like you need ministry, that you just need someone to pray for you, we want to open the altar to pray for those that have been impacted and a part of that. But also he touched very extensively on the issue of sexuality and how we conduct ourselves in our sexuality. And the fact of the matter is, is that this abortion industry is the fruit of a sexually promiscuous society. And all of us in this place have somehow been affected, whether you are participating or have participated with another individual, or whether it's even uh, the porn industry that has ensnared you. He highlighted today this issue of sexual purity. And so if you're here today and as he was sharing the word, you know that there's areas in your life that you're not honoring God. You know there's areas in your life that you need to be transformed by the power and the love of Christ in the area of your sexuality. We wanna open the altar for that as well. And so we wanna encourage you, if you're here today, do not leave without prayer. If you have an area of need in your life, we wanna agree with you. The power of God is available to set you free. The power of God is available that you do not have to leave here with shame and condemnation and cycles of addiction and despair. But God is here to meet you. So at this time, we just want to invite our core group up, altar workers, come on up with us. Uh, We're not assuming anybody's going to respond to this uh, altar call, but if you are here and you want some ministry, you want somebody to pray for you, the altar is open.